Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. I want to thank Brother Austin for doing a wonderful job leading us in our singing, and to all of our men who did a fantastic job leading us in our worship today. We're very, very thankful for your service. If you have your Bible with you, can I ask you to go ahead and get it out? I want to ask you to go into your New Testament to the book of Luke. Will you go in your Bible to Luke chapter 21? Luke chapter 21 in your New Testament. In Luke 21, beginning with verse number 10, our Lord Jesus begins talking about an event that would take place about 40 years after he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. And that is the event that Brother Don made reference to in his first sermon today, and that is the destruction of Jerusalem. That is the occasion when in 70 AD, God would use the mighty and powerful Roman army to wipe out the Jewish nation. Jesus says, as Brother Don referenced this morning, he says that prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, you would have nation going against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You would have earthquakes and famines in various places. You would have Christians being persecuted and even betrayed by members of their own family. The Lord said that all of these things would take place before the destruction of Jerusalem, but I want you to look now at verse number 20 of that chapter. In Luke 21 and verse 20, as the Lord speaks to his people, he says to them, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that is when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance. These are the days of God's vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword. And will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Beginning in verse number 25, we find this same apocalyptic language that we are currently considering in the book of Revelation when Jesus says there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among the nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves men fainting from fear. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There is a lot. There is a lot of things that we could say about those verses we just read together, but for the purpose of this study this morning, I just want you to notice carefully what Jesus says in verse 26. Notice how in verse 26, when describing the pending and terrible judgment that would come upon the destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus says that this event will be so bad. It would be so awful, so terrible, so dreadful that men's hearts would faint from fear. Men's hearts would faint from fear. Some of your translations may say men's hearts would fail from fear. Men's heart, hearts would be destroyed and crippled by the fear they felt 
from one of the worst moments in the history of the world. That's how Jesus describes the emotions of the people who would experience the destruction of Jerusalem. And I got to tell you, when I read the words of the Lord there, I can't help but be reminded of the world we're living in today. I can't help but be reminded of 21st century America. You see, like the Jews, the Lord is speaking of in those verses, we're also living in very fearful times, right? We're also living in very frightening times. We're also living in times where people seem to be more frightened today than at any other time in the history of the world. For example, you talk to a lot of people today, and they will freely admit to you that they are afraid of COVID. They're afraid of contracting COVID. They're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of getting other people sick. They're afraid to hug. They're afraid to shake hands. They're afraid to get closer than six feet to, to anyone. They're afraid to come back to services. They're afraid to travel. They're afraid to go to work. They're afraid to send their kids back to school. They're afraid to invite people in their homes. They're afraid to go to the movies. They're afraid to go to the restaurants. They're afraid of the vaccine. They're ultimately afraid to die. You see, if the COVID pandemic has done anything, brothers and sisters, it has certainly gripped a lot of people with fear, and our fears are certainly not limited to that. Our fears are certainly something that did not, that did not begin with that. I mean, prior to the COVID pandemic, the vast majority of people were already afraid to die, right? Death was already the king of terrors. A lot of people today are afraid of poverty. They're afraid of losing their job during this time of pandemic. A lot of people are afraid for their children. They are afraid of the kind of lives their children are going to have to grow up in as our society continues to get further and further away from the will of God. A lot of Christians are also afraid of persecution. They are afraid of what our government might do to us one day. If we continue being very outspoken about our faith, a lot of Christians are also afraid to engage in key aspects of the Lord's work. A lot of Christians are afraid to do evangelism. They're afraid to invite. They're afraid to ask somebody for a Bible study. They are afraid to step out of their comfort zones and, and teach a kid's Bible class for the first time or give a talk on a Wednesday night or try to get to know some new people in the church who may be outside of their little clique. There's just so many fears that can totally consume us in our lives if we're not careful. And the question is this. The question is, what does God have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about fear and how Christians should properly respond when faced with it in very fearful times? Well, as we begin a monthly series 
of lessons that our shepherds have asked us to do this year, dealing with the various emotions that people are dealing with in our society today. I would like to kick off this series that Brother Brian and I are going to do this year by talking with you about, about fear. I want to talk with you about fear. I want to talk with you about how we as Christians can rise above any and every fear that the devil is trying to use to cripple us in our faith. And let's just begin this morning by first pointing this out. Let's just begin this morning by first pointing out how when it comes to this battle that is currently being waged with fear, this battle is not new. This is not a new battle. This is not some battle that's been waged in just the past hundred or 200 years. Instead, this is a battle that we can read about being waged all throughout the Bible. This is an emotion that we can find gripping people as early as, as Genesis chapter 3. When you go in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 3, when you go back with me to the beginning, go back with me to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Remember, in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating from the forbidden tree, the Bible says in verse 8 that when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day, the man and the woman, they tried to hide themselves from the presence of God by, by hiding in the trees of the garden. And then in verse number 9, it says, then the Lord God called to the man, he called to Adam, the leader of the family. And he said to him, where are you? Where are you, Adam? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was, uh, I was afraid. You see that? He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I, I hid myself. Notice how here we find the first man, Adam, actually trying to hide from God. He actually tries to hide from the all-seeing, watchful eyes of God. Why is he trying to hide from God? Well, because he's afraid. He's afraid on this occasion, and the reason why he's afraid is because of sin. Sin has put fear in his heart. Sin has made him ashamed. Here we see that the first man, Adam, he was gripped with fear after he sinned against God. And then you put that with what the Bible tells us about the Israelites under the leadership of Moses. If you remember, when reaching the very border of the promised land, once Moses sent 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan, 10 of them, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, they came back with a report that was so pessimistic and, and so full of fear and lacking faith in regards to their chances of defeating the people of Canaan that the Bible says all of Israel wept. All of Israel cried. All of Israel was totally gripped with fear. In fact, for some of the Israelites, in fact, for the vast majority of them, they even wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to return to Egypt as, as slaves instead of continue on, continuing on in the journey. You see, with this example, we see that fear is something. Fear is something that can be contagious. Fear is something that can permeate and affect an entire group of people. The Israelites would, were crippled with fear once they reached the very border of the promised land. And let's not forget about the pathetic and, and weak King Saul. If you remember, 
the excuse, the excuse Saul gave Samuel for not obeying the complete will of God and totally wiping out the Amalekites was what? It was fear. Remember that? Remember when Samuel asked Saul, why didn't you obey the Lord and totally wipe out the Amalekites? Why did you spare King Agag and the best of everything? Saul said, the reason why I failed to do what God said was because I was afraid. He says he feared the people. He caved in to the pressure of the Israelites that he was supposed to be leading. Saul was a weak king. And one of the reasons why was because he feared people more than he feared God. And let's not forget about the prophet Elijah. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 19, after having the false prophets of Baal killed at Mount Carmel, the Bible says that Elijah began fleeing for his life. Elijah began running for his life. Elijah actually ran to a place called Beersheba because he was afraid of Jezebel. He was afraid of what Jezebel was going to do to him because he had her prophets killed. Elijah was a man of God, but he was gripped with fear. He was afraid of Jezebel. And let's not forget about the disciples after the Lord's crucifixion. Remember, after the Lord had been crucified on the cross in John 20, verse 19, the Bible says that the disciples were running and hiding from the Jews. Remember Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times in the courtyard of Caiaphas. Why? Well, because he was afraid. He feared what the Jews were going to do to him if they realized that he was a follower of Jesus. That's why he denied the Lord on three separate occasions. And then remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. Remember Paul said that when he was laboring in the city of Corinth, he labored among the people in weakness and fear and much, much trembling. There are many other examples we could give this morning, but I think you get the point. I think you can see you can see how all throughout the Bible, all, all throughout the scriptures, we find God's people facing the same battle we're facing today. All throughout the Bible, we find occasions when God's people were gripped with fear. All throughout the Bible, we see that fear is an emotion that has the potential to overwhelm any and every disciple. Fear can overwhelm me. And it can also overwhelm you. And we need to understand that 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 fear can bring about many negative consequences. You know, while there are times when we do become afraid. And fearful and anxious, if we're not careful, the devil will creep in. And he'll use our fear against us. He'll use our fear to disable us. He'll use our fear or our fears to render us useless in the kingdom of God. You see, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the devil will use our fears, whatever they might be, to negatively impact our faith. He'll use our fears to utterly destroy our faith. He'll use our fears to make it so that we're no longer walking by faith. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7? There Paul says that as Christians, we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. 
We're to walk by faith and not by fear. I'm also reminded of what happened in the verses that Brother Greg read for us this morning. Matthew 14, 28 through 31. Remember how after taking some initial steps in faith with Jesus and walking on water with Jesus, when Peter started focusing on the storm, when he started focusing on the wind and the waves and the battered boat, he became afraid, didn't he? He became terrified. He became gripped with fear and he began to sink. He began to drown. He went from a man of great faith to a man of great fear, just like that. And the consequences were nearly catastrophic. The consequences were very nearly devastating. You see, Peter was overwhelmed with fear, and that's why he began to sink. Sink, And if we're not careful, that same thing can happen to us. That same thing can happen to me. It can happen to you. You see, when we allow ourselves to be totally overwhelmed and gripped by our fears, then in due time, we're going to find ourselves walking by those fears instead of walking by faith in Jesus Christ. Then in due time, we're going to find ourselves being like Peter. We're going to find ourselves taking our focus off of Jesus, and we're going to start focusing on the storms. We're going to start focusing on the wind and the waves. We're going to find ourselves losing sight of the presence of Jesus in our lives. And as a result, we're going to sink. We're going to begin to drown. We're going to begin to drown spiritually. You see, the devil will use our fears to negatively impact our faith. That's what he did with Peter for a time. And if we're not careful, the devil will also use our fears to negatively impact our obedience. Remember, that's exactly what happened with King Saul, right? Remember, that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel in the days of Moses. Remember the very reason why they didn't get up and take possession of the promised land when God told them to was because of fear. They were afraid. They were afraid of being defeated by the Canaanites who inhabited the land, even though God promised to be with them and give them the victory. Israel in the days of Moses, they were gripped, totally gripped by fear. And if we're not careful, that's what fear can do to us. That's what fear can do to every single person in the room this morning. In fact, let's just be honest about it this morning. For a lot of disciples, that's exactly what fear has already done to them. That is exactly what has happened in the lives of so many disciples. Even as I speak to you this morning, I mean, that is exactly why for so many disciples in the world today, they have not stepped foot into an assembly of worship for the past year. You know, while there are some legitimate cases where some disciples need to be confined to their homes during this time of pandemic, and I want to be very sensitive and compassionate towards those people. At the same time, I think we also need to point out that for many disciples, they have allowed their fear of sickness and death to totally blind them to the truth when it comes to what the Bible says about worship. For many disciples, they've allowed their fears of contracting COVID to lead them to believing, really believing that God is okay with them doing online worship forever. 
They don't need to have a, a, a true exit strategy when it comes to what they're currently doing. God, it's okay with Christians doing online church until COVID has been totally wiped out from the face of the planet, which, by the way, is probably not going to happen. So even though you see, even though many churches are taking many careful precautions like us to make sure everybody is safe when they come here. For many disciples, they don't have a, a, a reasonable plan for when they're going to come back to the assembly of God. They don't have a true exit strategy when it comes to what they're doing with this online church stuff. But, you know, some kind of way, it is interesting to me how some kind of way these very same people find a way to go to anything and everything else under the sun. Have you noticed that? Some kind of way these same folks who claim to be afraid to come here, they can go to work every day. And they can take nice vacations. And they can go to restaurants and big, large family get-togethers. And the really disturbing thing about that is these same people often have the audacity to take pictures of it and put it on Facebook for the whole world to see. And in many, on many occasions, they don't even have masks on. That's disturbing to me. That's discouraging to me. That leads me to believe that for many Christians who have not stepped foot in church buildings for the past year, their problem may really have nothing to do with fear, and it may have to do with something else. But the devil, he can use our fears to negatively impact our faith and our obedience, and then thirdly, he can also use our fears to negatively impact others. You know, I, I wonder how many people would be Christians and part of the Lord's church right now, if some disciples were not afraid to invite or to set up a Bible study, to ask to set up a Bible study with them. I wonder how many more churches in this country would have elders and deacons or maybe have more elders and deacons in them if more men were we're willing to not be afraid to take on the responsibility of, of leading and, and shepherding God's people. I wonder how many more preachers we would have in the kingdom of God today if more men were not afraid of public speaking. If we're not careful, the devil can use our fears to negatively impact others. And if we're not careful, the devil can also use our fears to ultimately negatively impact the Lord's work. You see, when Christians are consumed and grippled with fear, you know what happens to God's work? God's work ultimately suffers. It suffers. This is something that is true, especially when it comes to evangelism. When I say evangelism, I'm talking about spreading the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, when a church is comprised of people who allow fear to distract and hinder them when it comes to evangelism, that church that they make up, that local church, it, it suffers. That church puts themselves in a dangerous situation. That church puts itself in a situation to not grow properly, and as a result of not growing properly, it eventually is going to die. 
It's going to die. You're going to have a bunch of empty pews in a very short amount of time because that church is going to soon cease to exist. It's not growing. It's not growing according to the prescription that God has given in the scriptures. God wants churches to grow, not swell, but grow. And you grow properly through evangelism. And so often Christians are afraid to do evangelism. And so what I just want you to see is there are just so many negative consequences that result, that can result from our fears. But here's the good news I want to leave you with this morning. The good news I want to leave you with is this. Even though there are a bunch of negative consequences when it comes to fear, according to the gospel, we can overcome it. We can conquer it. We can defeat it. We can rise above our fears right now in our lives. Someone, has, someone says, well, how do we rise above our, our fears? Well, let me give you three or four things to think about. First, let me suggest that we can rise above our fears right here, right now, this morning, by first trusting God. Would you agree with that? We need to trust God. We need to trust God. This is one of the great messages or themes that kind of weaves its way throughout the sacred scriptures. For example, I'm reminded of what the Bible says in Judges chapter 7. Do you remember what the scripture tells us about Gideon in Judges chapter 7? Remember when it came to the great judge and deliverer of God's people, Gideon, before Gideon went to battle against the Midianites, God dwindled his army. He dwindled his army down from having 3,000 or 32,000 men, I'm sorry, 32,000 men to having 300 men. God dwindled that army from 32,000 to 300. Why did God do that? Well, because he was trying to teach, he was trying to teach Gideon and the Israelites an important lesson. He was trying to teach them to trust him to trust in his power and his might and not put, them not put their trust in themselves and what they could do by their own strength and ability. I'm reminded of some of the verses we're reading in our Bible reading in the wisdom literature. Remember Proverbs 3? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, acknowledge God, and he'll make your path straight. Remember what David said in the 23rd Psalm. In Psalm 23, verse number 4, David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I go through terrible moments in my life, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, David says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 7, he talks about how we as Christians, we've been given a great treasure to share with the world, the glorious gospel. And in verse 8, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are afflicted in every way. He's describing himself and his co-workers in the gospel. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but we're not destroyed. Verse 10, always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. Notice how here in these verses we read the words of a man who had complete trust and confidence in God. 
Paul had complete trust and confidence in God. Notice how Paul tells us that no matter what he went through in his life, no matter what persecution he endured, no matter the beatings or the mockings or the ridicule, no matter if he was even forsaken by those he loved in his life, he still kept a positive attitude about life. He, he still remained optimistic about life. He still remained confident that God was with him and God was going to help him get through any and every circumstance he, he faced in his life. Paul never gave up. He never gave up on trusting in God. And let me tell you something. You should never give up on trusting in God either. I should never give up on trusting in God either. You know why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. God is loyal. God is trustworthy. God has has a history and a record of always being there for his people in the midst of trials and problems. Will you go in your Bible now to Philippians chapter 4, please? Look at Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is a very interesting book because Paul actually wrote this letter while going through a difficult circumstance in his life. He was actually in prison. He was actually locked up in a Roman jail cell just because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, even though he is suffering unjustly at this time in his life in Philippians 4, verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God. Which surpass all comprehension, regard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice how if we want to have peace in our lives, if we want to have the peace of God, if we want to have the peace that comes from Jesus Christ, we got to do two things. First, Paul says we got to make sure we're not anxious. He says be anxious for nothing. The idea of being anxious for nothing means that we don't need to live our lives consumed in worries and fears. We can't live our lives consumed with the worries and fears of this life. Instead of living our lives consumed in those things, Paul says we need to pray. We need to talk to God about whatever worries and anxieties and fears we have in our lives, and we need to trust him. We need to trust that he will help us. We need to trust that he will hear our prayers and respond in such a way that it's always in our best interest. Bottom line, Paul says we need to trust God. That's what helped him get through his difficult circumstances. Paul knew that God would never let him down. God loved him. God would always, he would always work out everything for the best. And so the first step to conquering fear is trust. Who's your trust in? Is your trust in yourself? Is your trust in men or is your trust in God? But then after we trust God, the third thing we got to do to overcome our fears is we got to get some courage. We got to get some courage. This is another admonition that is given to us all throughout the Bible. In fact, it is found in the in the admonition of do not fear. Do not fear. I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. Maybe you are. But over a hundred times in the Bible, God tells his people, do not fear. 
God tells his people, do not fear over and over again in the Bible. Why does God do that? Well, God does that because he understands us. He understands us as his creation. He understands us as his people. He knows that living in this dark and sinful world requires having constant reminders from him to live in trust and dependence on him rather than living in fear and anxiety. God knows we need to hear that over and over again. He gets that. And so go in your Bible to Acts chapter 18. Let me give you an example of this. Look at Acts chapter 18, please. Acts 18, look at verse number 9. And Acts 18 and verse number 9, remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3 that when he was in Corinth, he labored among the people in fear and much trembling. Weakness, fear, and much trembling. Well, in Acts 18, we, we see exactly what he meant by that. Here in Acts 18, if you go home and read it, you read about an occasion when Paul was being persecuted and was experiencing a lot of trials while preaching the gospel in the synagogue in the city of Corinth. It wasn't easy for Paul to preach the gospel in Corinth. Corinth was a grossly immoral city that was immersed in idolatry. But notice what Jesus said to him in verse number 9. In Acts 18 and verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, do not be afraid. Now, why would the Lord tell him not to be afraid? Well, the implication of that is Paul was afraid. He was afraid. Otherwise, Jesus would have told him, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you. I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he, Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Notice how Paul gained courage to continue preaching the gospel in the wicked city of Corinth once he realized that the Lord was with him and the Lord was watching over him. The Lord's awareness and the Lord's presence, that gave Paul the courage he needed to keep doing God's work in this city. You know, I remember, I remember when my son went on his first roller coaster ride. I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I love roller coasters. I love them. I'm one of them kind of guys, if we go to the theme park, we're going to ride everything. Nothing's off limits with Sean Jeffries when it comes to roller coasters. I love them all. And I started training my son up in the way he should go <laughs> when he was about seven years old. When he was seven years old, we were up in Minneapolis at the largest mall in America. And I can't remember the name of the roller coaster, but I just remember that how when we got in his first roller coaster, he was scared. He was scared to death. He was shaking. He was trembling. We hadn't even started yet, but once the guy put his seatbelt on him, I really didn't think Shawn Michael was going to make it. He was totally, totally afraid. And so when I saw him that afraid, you know what I did? I put my hand on him. Put my hand on him. I squeezed his hand. I let him know that I was right by his side and everything was going to be okay. I was going to hold on to him the entire time. Because I was his father and I was going to take care of him. That's what I said to him. And when we did that, you know what he did? He calmed down. He relaxed. He knew that everything was going to be okay because his daddy, his daddy was right there holding on to him. 
Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm by no means at all claiming to be God. Y'all know me well enough by now to know I would never make such a claim. But what I am saying is this. I am saying that if my seven-year-old son at the time gained courage from the realization that me, his weak and feeble father, was right there with him during a time of fear, how much more courage should we gain when we stop and realize that our heavenly father, the all-powerful God, he's right with us today in a time of great fear. How much more courage should we gain when we realize that Jesus, our big brother, he's right there with us during this time of great fear. How much more should we strengthen when we remind ourselves of what Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 20 when he says, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You see, like the awareness and presence of Jesus gave Paul the courage he needed to continue on during a very fearful time for him. That same thing should be true for us today. If we're going to conquer our fears, we've got to trust God. We've got to be courageous. And you know what else we've got to do? We've got to lean on our family. We've got to lean on our family. And when I say family here, I'm talking about the people in this room. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever noticed in the Bible just how many one another passages there, there are? Have you ever, you ever noticed that before? They're all over the place. In fact, in the New Testament alone, there are at least 50 one another passages. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, there Paul says we need to serve one another. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Paul says restore one another in the spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens. We studied those verses last Sunday, right? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 18, comfort one another. Chapter 5 and verse 11, the same book, encourage and build up one another. All throughout the New Testament, God gives us all of these one another passages. And why does God do that? Why are there so many one another passages in the Bible? Well, the reason is very simple. The reason we have all these one another passages in the Bible is because God knows that when it comes to going to heaven, when it comes to making it to paradise, when it comes to getting through the trials and the tribulations of this life, we can't do it on our own. We can't get through that stuff by our own power and our own strength and our own might. We need some help. We need each other. We need brothers and we need sisters in Christ. And so if you have a fear or fears that's really weighing you down right now, it could be COVID. It could be cancer. It could be losing a job evangelism, step out of your comfort zone when it comes to the Lord's work, whatever fears you have weighing you down this morning, I want to recommend that you do what the Bible says. I want to recommend that you talk to a brother or sister in the Lord about that fear. Ask them to help you. Trust them. Let them sit down with you and come up with a specific plan as to how you're going to overcome your fears. Give them permission to frequently ask you how you're doing when it comes to conquering your fears. Allow them the opportunity to hold you accountable. 
Let your brethren help you overcome your fears and help your brethren overcome their fears. For those of us who are here this morning, if we know some people who are part of this church who are still afraid to come back to the worship assembly, let's reach out to those people this week and let's do our best to, to help alleviate their fears. Let's talk to them in love. Let's let them know that, that we'll do our best to make them feel comfortable and safe when, when they come here. We'll, we'll wear the mask. We'll wear the mask. We'll social distance from them. We'll understand they got to get up and, and leave after the announcements. We won't shake their hands. We won't try to hug them. We'll meet them right where they are. We just want to help them. We want to help them conquer their fear. If we're going to conquer our fears, we got to lean on our family. And then fourth and finally, if we're going to conquer our fears, we got to have hearts full of love. Hearts full of love. Two verses. Two verses will help us with this. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Paul says, for God has not given us, as his people, God has not given us a spirit of what? Timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. 1 John 4 and verse 18, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In verse 19, he says, we love because he, God, first loved us. Notice how, instead of being people who are controlled and influenced to make decisions based on fear, we need to be the kind of people who make our influence or make our decisions influenced by love. Love needs to be the thing that drives our decisions. Love for who? Well, obviously love for God. Love for Jesus, love for each other. We got to love God and we got to love one another. And when I say love one another and love God, when the Bible says we got to love one another and love God, that's a goppy kind of love. It's talking about doing something more than just feeling warm and fuzzy inside. It's talking about something more than just an emotion. It's talking about doing something more than just saying, I love God or I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, this kind of love, this agape kind of love the Bible talks about is a love that is demonstrated with action. It requires us doing something. It requires us sacrificing. It requires us being selfless and showing true commitment to the people we're supposed to love. You see, when the love of God is full in my heart and it controls me, then I'm always going to be willing to obey the Lord's commandments, no matter what carnal obstacles may come my way. No matter what carnal fears come my way, I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's persecution. I don't care if it's rejection. I don't care what it is. When the love of God is full in my heart, then that's what's going to influence every, every decision I make. That's what's going to lead me. That's what's going to guide me. That is ultimately what's going to give me the trust and the courage I need to overcome my fears. Now go in your Bible to one more place and we're going to close. One more place, real quick, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, and we're wrapping this up. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said this. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul or soul and body in hell. 
This morning we've talked about how God doesn't want us to be crippled by the carnal fears of this life. But just because we are not to be crippled by carnal fear, that doesn't mean that we're not to have some kind of fear. Here Jesus says that, it, that instead of being crippled by fearing, fear of the world, fear of men, fear of what men might do to us, we need to fear God. We need to fear what God will do to us if we don't do his will. You know, I fear that for so many people, even for so many Christians, they fear COVID a lot more than they fear God. That's a problem. That's a problem. We need to fear God above anything else. We need to revere him and fear what he can do to us. In fact, the number one way we show fear for God is by obeying him, right? We obey God. And so if there's someone here this morning who needs to obey God, demonstrate proper fear for God by obeying him for the first time through faith and repentance and, and baptism, or if you need to be restored into a right relationship with God, whatever your spiritual need may be, let us help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.